You're listening to Homicide Worldwide. Your hosts, Sally and Keto, would like to remind our listeners the episodes deal with crimes that are graphic in nature and may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Homicide Worldwide listeners. All of us over here at Homicide Worldwide Podcast would like to thank you for coming back each week. We see that you are spreading the word and that our body count is growing. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We're kind of on Facebook. If you have an idea for an episode, send us an email to homicideworldwidepodcast at gmail.com. If you want to join our moms in supporting the show, check out our Patreon. Please remember to subscribe wherever you listen and please leave a five-star review. It really helps out the show. For source material, don't forget to check out the show notes. If you know us at all, you know that we don't like to linger on crimes against the innocent creatures of the world. The stolen innocence that we are talking about is a toddler whose life was ended, most likely by someone extremely close to her. It took a lot to decide to come at Casey Anthony, for what we hope are obvious reasons. We do not cover many cases that have to do with children, because the crimes against kids are just too revolting to talk about. And when someone like, I don't know, let's say, the child's mother is involved, There is no word out there that I know of to describe what that is. Evil, malevolent, heinous. They just don't seem to quite capture the depth of her crimes. Despite her acquittal, most people believe that Casey Anthony had a measure of involvement with the death of her daughter, and most people might say that anyone with reasonable intelligence can see that she had something to do with it, that her involvement was direct. Just how direct, however, it's likely that only Casey and Kaylee are the only ones who will ever truly know. In yet another gross miscarriage of American justice, the not guilty verdict was not because they think she is innocent, but because they simply didn't have enough proof to convict. What would have been Kaylee's 15th birthday just passed on August 9th, a little more than a month ago as of this recording. We can only hope that on that day every year that Casey Anthony has a heavy heart. But from what we know of her, she's probably out at a hot bog contest, partying too much for a woman who is now of a certain age and trying desperately to hide behind a mask of sanity. Casey Anthony remains the most hated mom in America, and she's certainly the most hated mom around these parts. This is episode 40 of Homicide Worldwide. Good evening, Al. Hello. <laughs> Champ. 
How's it going? We are good. I'm very well. I'm glad it's a Saturday night, and this is the party that I'm getting up to. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, my name is Sally, and I'm one of your co-hosts. And I am Kita, your other co-host. Together we are Homicide Worldwide. Why? Why? So here we are, and I never thought we'd be here because Ugh. you have an extremely strong aversion to this particular bitch. I hate her so much. I know. She's pretty awful. Yes, um, she is. And we'll kind of get into tonight why she's awful and why we think that she's awful and what we think that she did that's awful. We each have our own opinions about mm-hmm. what happened, but it doesn't really matter in the end because we both agree that she's responsible and that she's yeah. awful. Most everybody is familiar with this case. It broke open on July 15th, 2008 in beautiful Florida. I have this image of a lady in stiletto heels with like a gator (laughs) on like a diamond studded leash. I want to be the woman with a fucking gator on a leash. Crystals. With, yeah, obviously with the bedazzling. Exactly. (sighs) Please God. Florida and not just Florida, but Orlando, Florida. Mm -hmm. So in Orlando lived a family, the Anthony family. The Anthony family consisted of mom, Cindy, Uh dad, George, and their older folk in their 60-ish's mom is a nurse and dad is a security guard. Previously a police officer in Ohio. And aspiring Disney World mascot character. (gasps) What? I didn't know that. Tell me more about this. Apparently, George's dream job is to be dressed up at Disney World as one of the Goofies or Mickey Mouses. And I think this is so incredibly It's all about your aspirations. Wear a mask and completely disguise yourself so that people will love you. (laughs) That's probably why. He's like, I can't show my face anywhere else. This is the Mm -hmm. only solution. Well, apparently this predates the entire murder trial, but this was a lifelong kind of aspiration for him. George was previously married and his wife did not think very much of him. Um, She said that when he didn't have his police uniform on, he was, quote, nothing, end quote. Fuck, that's harsh. So they divorced. And then George. (laughs) He's like, I am something. I'm divorced. (laughs) I'll be goofy one day. Just you watch. And they won't know what's me, but they'll love me anyway. (laughs) So he finds Cindy and they fall in love and they get married. And they have two children together. Their children are Lee. Lee's born first. And then a few years later comes Casey. Oh, I have so many opinions as to what could have happened to prevent this happening. But apparently none of those things happened. She was born anyway. A lot of places along the way where this could have been prevented. People, birth control, (laughs) it's not just a good idea. It is a really good idea. This can go back many generations. Kaylee's disappearance can start all the way back with her great-grandfather. And his name was Alexander Placia. He was abandoned at an orphanage by his father after his mom died. Oh, God. So you can imagine he's not feeling great about his father. He later meets a lady named Shirley Stiles. Shirley Stiles' father had abandoned her and her siblings and left her mom and them with no income or support. So Uh. you can see that Alexander and Shirley had a lot in common. Trauma bonds. Deadbeat dads. 
people like that learn how control is important in order to survive in life. And so they became both fairly controlling people. Shirley in particular was a very controlling person. Shirley had several children. She had a few boys. And then her last child was a girl. And she called that little girl Cindy. Cindy's brothers did not really like her when she was little. They felt that she was pretty spoiled. She felt that men needed to be controlled. She kind of got this message from really both her parents, but especially from her mother. And she became very good at doing that. She also married a man who was very easy to control. George Anthony, who is by all accounts, a fairly nice, bland person without a particularly strong will and without perhaps the most stable mental health, just in general. And let me tell you, when it comes to George and Casey, the apple don't fall far from the tree. Dude, they're like twins. They have many similarities. Oh my God. You know, a lot of girls, we tend to take after our moms. She did not, like not even physically. She didn't even really Mm -hmm. resemble her mom at all. Like she's literally her father. Very much, especially with the face shape. So he has a very broad jaw Mm -hmm. and Casey has a very uh, sort of pointed jaw. Mm -hmm. Like Like, way more narrow. Like there's mm -hmm. one video that you can see her in the courtroom. I swear to God, she looks just like a shoe. She does resemble a shoe very frequently. Yeah, like a loafer. Also uh, like a hat full of assholes. (laughs) She resembles that quite frequently too. So Cindy marries George. And again, the first wife, not such a big George fan. His own father had fired him from the family business. <laughs> wow. You have to be pretty crappy for your dad to fire you. Sorry, this is George. so impressive. This is this is actually stuff I didn't know about. Continue. Thank you. Um, <laughs> he learned during Casey's sort of late teen years that she was lying about having a job at a sports authority. Imagine that. Casey lying about something. I don't we'll believe that. Lying. Impossible. And Cindy tells George just to say nothing, just to ignore it. So just to not even confront Casey about it, just to let it continue. When he realized that wow. Casey's car had this nasty ass smell of potential decomposition, Cindy told him, just go back to work as a security guard and just move on. Yeah, it's probably and a rat or a gator. Yeah, and just let it go, move on. And her need to control everything around her led her to disregard Casey in some respects. Mm -hmm. Casey was a liar from a young age. And she learned to lie because it was easier than telling the truth. She learned to lie because the way that lies were dealt with in her family, i.e. ignored, covered up, you know, don't say anything about it, just move on. The way that lies were dealt with, instead of being confronted, they were just worked around. (laughs) Wow. My mind is just blown right now. It's kind of amazing the way that the family dealt with the idea of deception. When you grow up, you learn what's around you. That's what you learn is normal. This is why children in like massive abuse situations, which this I don't believe was, Mm children in massive abuse situations don't know that they're being abused until they're rescued. And then they're like, I just thought that was what things were like, that you just got your ass beaten 10 times a day. And this was not abuse by any means. But what we do have is a quite dysfunctional family 
Yeah. Like they invented the word dysfunctionality. They really did. There's all these undercurrents that they really only talk about when there's these explosive arguments. Mm. And then there's like the sullen withdrawal and the punishment and the like angry texts and the confrontations and the frustrated voicemails and the drama. It was just so high. It was very, very dramatic. Like the drama was like turned up to 11. So Casey's lying was a part of her life from a really young age. And because there were no natural, logical consequences to these lies that she told, she didn't ever become averse to telling lies. In fact, it just starts to become the air that she breathes. She starts to make up people, characters, characters in the lives of the people that she makes up, histories, moves, College graduations, addresses, illnesses, children, predilections, likes and dislikes, family relationships, family dysfunctions, all of the people that she's making up. She starts to create these really elaborate stories that don't have any way to succeed because the normal people she's telling them to are going to find out inevitably that she's lying. But so often she just is at the last minute, she'll say, oh, they canceled or, oh, I was mistaken or, oh, somebody else let me down or, oh, I don't know where they are. And there was always a reason Mm -hmm. why things just didn't work out the way that she described that they would. Yeah. And I noticed too, like not to jump too far ahead with the Mm -hmm. later on when we're watching like the videos and listening to the interrogation, she really relies on the, I don't know. Type of thing, because it's like to her, it seems like that's just going to end the conversation. If I say I don't know enough, then they're going to stop asking me. But obviously that wasn't the case. She's just pressing play Mm -hmm. on all of the programs that she has been taught. When you get in trouble, you just lie until it just goes away. Until your parents are like, fuck, she's just doing it again. Oh, my God. I don't want to get into it with her look. Yeah. Let's just ignore it. It just right, wears just the person it. down. It wears them down. To and the they point where they're just like, oh, we're done. Right. We know you're lying. We know that this isn't the truth. We know that you don't even understand the meaning of truth, but we're done going around in circles. We've got better things to do with our time. I don't know how you could ever live like that. I mean, I don't know who thinks that's easier than just telling the fucking truth. For some reason, it scratched a niche for her. And <laughs> with pathological lying, Telling the lie itself, the satisfaction and thrill of telling the lie itself is the payoff. Yeah. So with normal lying, the satisfaction or the the payoff is external. I'm lying so that something in the world gets fixed. Yeah. Something I avoid something or, you know, something bad doesn't happen. Yeah. It's like a rush. It's a huge rush. I mean, if you have to like have like an adrenaline junkie moment, like fucking jump out of an airplane or without a parachute. Like Johnny Utah and and Bodazafa and Point Break, you know, just one of them jumps with a parachute, the other one doesn't. I mean, you talk about an adrenaline rush. Go do something like that, Casey. There's something about pathological lying that is less of like a hit and more of a drip. This is why pathological lying can be so addictive and why it's so hard to turn off. I think there is an element with her of pathological lying, but I do think that more importantly, that she just adapted and evolved based on the inputs in her life that lying doesn't have a consequence. Mm -hmm. And if you just keep going with the lie, eventually it's just going to kind of resolve itself. And as we go through this case, you will see that behavior happens again and again and again, where she just extends and extends this lie to the point where people around her are like, 
bitch is fucking crazy. Yeah. Like, you know, we all know you're lying, right, Casey? Right. Exactly. And like for people who are normal, her behavior is so unusual. But to her, she believes that she is putting on this convincing front of normality and normal reactions to things. And really, when these detectives look at her reactions, which we'll describe to you in a little bit, what they're seeing is somebody who's not reacting in any way, quote, normally. Yeah. Based on the set of situations and circumstances that she's found herself in. Yeah, it was just uh, they smelled her bullshit right from the get go. So as we move forward and describe more of this case, let's just keep in mind this person's pathological need to create almost a completely fictitious life, a fictitious job, fictitious co-workers, a very fictitious nanny for her child, this beautiful little girl who's a couple months short of three years old at this point. So you'll just see that the lying she does, it's instinctive. It almost comes without planning. It just comes as a part of the story that she's created. Mm -hmm. So when she starts telling these lies, She's not telling them for the first time. She's told a lot of these things to her mother in some form or another. She's told stories of this person or that person or the job at Universal Studios, which she had several years earlier in a different form, Mm -hmm. but she definitely doesn't freaking work there now. Yeah. She has this whole structure, this whole life that she's built that is bullshit. And every person who knows her has a different version of the bullshit. So now we've got a little background on Casey Anthony, her family, her daughter, Kaylee, her mom, Cindy, her father, George, her brother, Lee. Let's take a little snapshot of her life around the time of Kaylee's disappearance and kind of how she got to that point. Casey was a pretty young mom when she had Kaylee. Casey herself was born on March 19th of 1986, and she was 19 years old when she had Kaylee Anthony on August 9th of 2005. A few things that led up to the birth of the child, like not necessarily related to the birth of the child. Things like she was a senior and she dropped out of high school. She basically didn't have any kind of like real repercussion from this because her parents threw her a really extravagant party to save face with their friends. They hide the truth party. Yeah, exactly. And and of course, this is before she was pregnant. But yeah, it was a hide the truth party. And they went so far as to tell their friends that she not only graduated, but that she graduated with honors. Oh, Jesus Christ. And she did not. You know, I wonder where, if only there was some indication where Casey learned how to lie to people (sighs) to make things seem better. It's weird, isn't it? Where could she have gotten it from? How in the world could she have, you know, drawn, like connected the dots here? Because Mm. really, I don't know. I guess we'll never know. We'll never know. It's interesting because after all of this blows over and her parents' friends think that she graduated with honors... Eventually, Casey does find herself with child. This pregnancy was kept hush-hush for quite some time. It was a lot. Quite an unusual amount of time. Yeah, it was like seven months or something crazy. I saw a picture of her when she was seven months pregnant. To the trained eye, yes, she looks 
pregnant. She looks like she has a child in her womb. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe for the untrained eye, like, I don't know, if you've been living under a rock or something, mm-hmm. uh, you might be able to say, oh. Needs a little metamucil to blow one out. <laughs> exactly. You need some, yeah, exactly. Some sort of, mm-hmm. you know, dietary fiber. Yeah, some laxative situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so this pregnancy is kind of kept under wraps and like hush hush. And then she has Kaylee, who is just the most adorable child. Oh my God, she's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And which, you know, even if the child wasn't adorable, this would still be a heinous crime, but she was so cute. Casey goes so far as to not list a father on the birth certificate. And she had given many, many stories around the identity of Kaylee's father. And it was like at least three that I had heard of. And then another story that she had been at a party and had been date raped or drugged and then raped. And so she didn't know who the identity of the father was. Another one was a guy that she really liked. Another one was another Mm -hmm. guy that she'd been seeing. Like it was just, there was no end to any of her lies ever. I have a specific detestation for when people lie about sexual assault. Because it so dilutes the very real cases of sexual assault. And it gives fodder for people who say, look how many people are lying about sexual assault. Don't ever fucking lie about it. Just be fucking honest about it because it harms so many people. She just doesn't have any boundary around anything. And, you know, as a woman, especially, it's a situation that, you know, we all are fearful of to some degree for her to exploit that. Yes. For her own benefit to maybe play the sympathy card or get people to feel bad for her or stop asking questions because, oh, oh, my God, I didn't realize it was something like, you know, you're not going to fucking push that. No. You know, but That's I mean, exactly if, if right. Casey was out doing the fucking football team, you might wonder. Did you hear about Kaylee's birth story? Tell me. So Casey was in an obstetrical suite and her father was at the foot of the bed. Is that a birthing room, an obstetrical suite? Yeah, it's kind of one of the more sort of uh, clinical ones. No, I think I get the impression it's less bougie. Oh. It's not like one of those like home birthing fake suites. I'm in a fancy hotel, but I'm going to have my baby in the spa tub. It's not (laughs) one of those ones. It's more like a kind of like your feet are in stirrups and everything's white and very like bright. But all of my like sort of mental tropes around childbirth are from like horror movies. So this could all be incorrect. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, you know. Yeah. Well, there you go. So she's lying in an obstetric suite and she's giving birth to Kaylee and her dad is at the foot of the bed. Oh. Watching Kaylee come out. And you know what? After the baby was delivered, the first person to hold the baby was Cindy. Oh. And Cindy made sure of that. So there was a lot of a lot of parental involvement during the birth. Dad was right there, kind of like cheering her on and right down between the old legs. That's and a show. I witnessed a live birth. I've been in the same room. <gasps> Did you really? I witnessed a live Did you birth. Watch it come out of the vahine? I, I watched the entire thing. Holy canon. Uh-huh. And so, you know, regardless of your position on who should be looking at your hoo-ha as a baby comes out of it, Cindy made sure that she was 
kind of front and center. George made sure that he was front and center. So right from the word go, they were very involved grandparents. Very, very involved. And in fact, at one point when they are talking to authorities about Kaylee, uh, George said that Kaylee was with his wife, Cindy, around 99% of the time. Kaylee was basically amount of time. It's a huge amount of time. My impression is that Kaylee was kind of raised by Cindy and George mm. mostly, especially Cindy. And although George absolutely adored yeah. Kaylee, and it was evident that her passing destroyed him forever. Like it just was, they were, they were, the family, none of them were the same. Yeah. Except for one person. Mm. Yeah. But you can't guess who. No, I mean if it wasn't it's, the family fucking dog. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was. It was. Mm. Mm-hmm. See what you did there. It's clever of me. <laughs> anyway, so now Kaylee's in the world. Welcome to the world, Kaylee. So she did not ever really name the father on the birth certificate. She had suggested some possible partners, including a quote unquote fiance. I not I really don't know if he was a real fiance or not, but Jesse Grund. There was another man who she withheld the identity of. And he was actually killed in a car accident. And then there was another guy that she dated who was also killed in a car accident. Well, she's got that Lori Vallow smell about her, doesn't I, she? Oh my God, she sure as shit does. So for the next couple of years after Kaylee is born, it's fairly unremarkable. She spends quite an extreme amount of time with her grandparents. And it's pretty much like she's being raised by them. Nothing seems to really happen with Casey. In fact, most of her friends that she had around that time described her as an attentive mom, like that she fed Kaylee really healthy food and that she was always there and that Mm -hmm. she never raised her voice, that she interacted, that that Kaylee went places with her and she was sort of a part of Casey's circle of friends and her friends all sort of seemed to know this child. And so it wasn't like she was hidden under a rock somewhere and like, oh, I don't have a kid or hey, mom, you know, whatever. It just sort of seemed like people totally knew who this baby was. Right. She was just part of the family all the time. Yeah. And Casey's friends all agreed that she was a really cool girl. Like they, you know, she was interactive. She was outgoing. Like she didn't seem abused if they were at somebody's house. Casey would usually set her up with like some art supplies. She would draw and then show her paintings and people were like, oh, it's so cute. And, you know, it was it was an interesting dynamic that people talked about during this period of time. I didn't find or hear one thing from her birth until this case really explodes that indicated that she was abused, mm-hmm. except for the alleged drugging of her to sleep. Right. Otherwise, there wasn't the physical abuse or known mental abuse to the child. And quite honestly, the best indicator generally of whether a child is being abused or not is the child's behavior. If the child happily, willingly goes to the parents, jumps into their arms, yeah. laughs with them, is relaxed with them, is intense with them, doesn't have any weird things about being touched by them. Like if they're separated by time, then they are okay with going back to them. They don't scream and yell when it's time to go back to mommy, you know. <laughs> Usually a red flag. <laughs> you have to watch out for those when it comes to children for sure. Absolutely. None of that was here. And you're you're absolutely right. She had a reputation as a nice mom. 
Yeah. She wasn't, you know, mean to her kid. She was, you know, attentive. She wasn't the most responsible person in the world. And we'll kind of find out more Mm -hmm. about that. But like you said, there was no abuse that was affecting Kaylee emotionally. Just like going to church on Sundays doesn't make you Catholic, just being a good mom now and then, especially in front of other people, doesn't make you a good mom in general. And as we know, Casey is very alert to other people's opinions of her. When she's around people, she adapts to what they expect her to be. Mm-hmm. And so when she's around people who expect her to be a good mom, she's a good mom. When she's around people who expect her to be, you know, a, an attentive, good citizen, she's an attentive, good citizen. Yeah. And she will sort of create this persona around what she thinks people expect of her. Yeah, it's like she just adjusts to every situation. Mm-hmm. Very much. She's very adaptable in that way. And that's something that narcissists do where they just kind of make themselves into whatever it is that they think you want. So anyway, this is Casey Anthony. Now, this is a family that is sort of reasonably normal looking on the outside, but once you sort of scratch around and go beneath the surface, you find a family that has a lot of dysfunction, as we've mentioned, a lot of conflict. Father's Day, June 15th, 2008. So Father's Day, uh, everybody comes over to the house, the family house, which is on Hope Spring Drive. Mm -hmm. Wow, thanks for that irony, universe. (laughs) Yeah, right. So on Hope Spring Drive, which is kind of the family home, George and Cindy live there. Kaylee lives there almost full time. Casey kind of comes and goes, you know, sometimes she's staying in other places and with her boyfriend or, you know, here or there on the couch. She doesn't really have a home. That's what I kept coming back to with this is I'm like, does it seems like Kaylee lives there. Mm -hmm. Doesn't seem like Casey has her own place, but it doesn't seem like any money. Yeah. It doesn't seem like she lives there, but it doesn't seem like she doesn't live there. Like, where is she? She's like in the ether. She lives with boyfriends. This is one of, I think, one of the essential things, yeah. the necessities of having a boyfriend for her means it's also a place to live. She just couch surfs a lot. She just couch surfed a lot. And she had to do that because she didn't have a job. Mm-hmm. That was not a piece of information that her family knew. No, because she is so much like Jennifer Pan this way mm-hmm. with the just constant- Whole another life. Yeah, this like second life shit where she's just- putting on this show and Mm -hmm. you know I really do George and Cindy have anybody to blame but themselves for this Mm -mm. I don't think so I mean I don't want to you know point the finger and say that obviously they're to blame but they did sort of like show her the way with Mm -hmm. the graduation and how that went and so she's just doing at this point she's just doing what she's learned it's a learned behavior and she knows how to manipulate the fuck out of a situation you can't go through life in this way, no, lurching from lie to lie, building this massive structure of lies around your job and your friends and the people you know and telling your family lies and lying about where your daughter is and where she is and who she's with. And this is pre-disappearance too. I'm not even talking after. But no, this is all, yeah, just yeah. very much the setup to what was going to come. There was always going to be something and this was it. This was the thing. This is where her shitty decisions and all of her lies 
all came to an end and there was no way to get out of the web that she had made for herself. And I don't think that she ever thought it was going to happen. I think she thought it was just going to continue, that life was just going to continue full of deception and stories and falsehoods. Yeah. She was vague enough in so many ways to where it was like, you know, a lot of times like humans won't continue to push. There are some people who will, but if you tell somebody something and you kind of like dance around the subject long enough or Mm -hmm. say enough words to make it so that somebody's just like, oh, okay. All right. I mean, how many times have things like that happened where you're just like, oh, okay. Was this person bullshitting me or whatever? And that's exactly how she was. Like people just were like, okay, like totally doesn't add up. But I mean, I guess. I guess. Sure. I mean, Sure are a lot of last minute cancellations in your life, Casey, but all right. I can't, I don't have proof of anything else. So I guess I'll take you at your word. Mm -hmm. Which was a lot of people's mistake. Right. Mm -hmm. So Sunday, June the 15th, and everyone's gathered at the Hope Spring Drive house. And there's a huge argument, such a big family argument that the neighbors actually during their witness testimony in court reported that they could hear the screaming match that was happening. So Casey storms away from the home with Kaylee. So again, Sunday, June 15th is the big Father's Day argument. And then the very next day, Monday, June 16th is the last day that Kaylee is seen alive. Yes. And then from there, let the shit show fucking begin. So now we've got a little timer going. Definitely, for sure, Monday, June 16th, Kaylee is seen. And then from there, things get a little mysterious. It's not unusual for you to not see your friend's child for a couple of days. It happens all the time. Mm -hmm. It's not unusual to go out with your friends from time to time. And, you know, oh, you know, how's Kaylee? Oh, she's fine. You know, this, that. And, you know, maybe even a couple of weeks goes by. Mm-hmm. Well, that's exactly what happened. And during this time, Casey Anthony is acting like there is nothing wrong. But something is rotten in Denmark. Very, very, very wrong indeed. <laughs> so around four days after Kaylee was last seen alive, which was Monday, June 16th, a hot body competition is happening at a nightclub called Fusion Nightclub. Apparently, this was hosted by her friend, Clint, and she was seen in the hot bod contest. <laughs> Lots of photos documenting I don't know it. if you know this, but a hot bod contest is stage four of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's grieving process following death. So it's denial... <laughs> Uh, anger, bargaining, yeah. hot bod contest. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple more after that as well. And finally, there's acceptance. <laughs> I mean, it makes perfect sense if you think She's about it. She's in step four. She's working it out. Mm-hmm. As any responsible, loving mother of the year mm-hmm. would mother of the freaking year. do, you enter a hot bod contest. I don't know whether she won or not. So... There was that unanswered question along with all the other unanswered questions. This is what Casey was getting up to in the days following the last known sighting of Kaylee being alive. Now, 
I have to say that if, God forbid, that was ever to happen, the mm-hmm. last thing that you would be doing would yeah. be entering a hot bod contest. Now, I would think that if your child was missing, I'm just mm-hmm. spitballing here now, stop me if I'm wrong, maybe you'd be on the phone to the cops, like up every cop in the fucking precinct's ass, and then yeah. at least a couple of counties and towns over, like where the fuck is my kid? I know that that would be an approach that a normal person might take. Mm-hmm. This bitch is out there fucking just shaking her junk around, mm-hmm. laughing, you know, kind of like casually like holding hands with this other girl in the hot bod contest. You wouldn't know that anything was wrong. I'm not always a big fan of like, when you look into her eyes, you can see pure evil. When you look into <laughs> her eyes- You can see pure evil. <laughs> you can just see- She's just happy and gleeful and just glad to be out. And she's just like smiling and there's just so much freedom and glee. And I don't mean like she's gleeful at Kaylee being dead, but she's gleeful at being out and doing this. There's not a hint in any of these photos that anything is wrong. No. Now, being that she was a young mom... I think that she probably didn't understand the gravity of having a child Mm -hmm. and who can fault anybody for not, I don't think anybody can really understand the gravity of having a kid until you have one and certainly at a young age. But at the same time, when you make a commitment, yes, there isn't an argument there like at all, like you literally, that's the deal. And so I think that what you were seeing in her eyes when you were looking at those photos was probably just, her rekindling what she perceived to be her freedom that she lost out on. Yep. I think that that's what that was. I think she was a party girl. She wasn't Mm -hmm. ready for the incredible, immense responsibility of having a child who, you know, she's a single parent for all intents and purposes, right? Like, I mean, yes, she has her parents, but she's ultimately responsible for this kid. See, this is where, for me, the murder argument breaks down Mm. is because there was an out if she did want to go back to her sort of free will and lifestyle, what would have prevented her from just leaving Kaylee with Cindy and George, who would have been thrilled with that? I don't know. Maybe she felt like she was, I mean, for lack of a better term, maybe she felt like she was getting cockblocked by having a child. You know, these women who commit these crimes, you know, I mean, if you think about like Susan Smith, for example, like, you know, she mm-hmm. was of, you know, getting some strange with some other guy you know, he didn't want any part of the kids. And so she was like, oh, I know what I should do. You know, there's always something that kind of seems to be operating in the background with this. And you don't know because we've never heard anything about that with this. But Mm -hmm. in my mind, I can kind of see her being like, you know what, she's getting some D on the side. And maybe the person she was getting it from just wasn't into being a a stepfather or even having a part of a child's life. Mm-hmm. And maybe That's she was being digmatized, digmatized. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe she was just too, obviously she was so selfish, but like, you know, I just have to think like maybe she was just so selfish that, that she didn't see past where, you know, getting that fucking eight inch bagel. <laughs> That's very specific on the length. But, um, you know, there is an argument that you can make that because Cindy had already established this dynamic where she was openly judging, and rightly so, but still openly judging Casey's parenting. I'm See, openly judging Casey and I her mean, parenting. We all are. Like, we yeah. all know she's a terrible parent. Uh-huh. But, you know, 
there's this thing again with pathological lying where part of the whole point of it is to position yourself consistently as the hero, the champion, or the victim. And that allows you to either be the one who solves everybody's problems if you're the hero or the champion, or if you're the victim because things are done to you, you can't possibly be responsible. And everybody is going to pity you and you're going to have the attention that way. I mean, it's not the, that's right. Not a great way. I mean, I don't want to be the victim and get attention. I would rather get attention for something that I did that's amazing, like Homicide Worldwide hosting. Yeah, that's exactly correct. Because <laughs> it is excellent what we do here. Exactly. Platinum, baby. But yeah, so you can make this argument that because of this dynamic that Cindy and Casey had, that there was no way in hell Casey was going to prove Cindy right. There's no way in hell that Casey was going to give Cindy the ammunition of you really are a terrible mother. Except she totally did. She totally did. So the lies that Casey told were really at their core, I really think, designed to have Cindy's approval and designed to avoid her judgment or her feelings of being ashamed of Casey. And I think that's one of the worst things for Casey was feeling like, you know, she was, her parents were ashamed of her and they, I think they kind of were. Well, then don't kill your baby. Don't kill your baby. Maybe there's that. Don't be a giant loser. Yeah. I don't know. And it's also not like she was lacking in the basics in terms of life. She had you know, a family who supported her way more than they should have. She had financial resources through them. She had support for her child. She was healthy. She was attractive. She was freaking smart. She's a smart cookie. Yeah, she was good at math. She was good at math. She could keep all these things in her head. She was athletic, you know, she had a lot going for her. Yeah. Except for this like fatal flaw of not being shown that there are consequences to lying. So the next month from June 16th, 2008 to July 15th, 2008, it's almost exactly a month. Yeah. Casey is going to tell lie after lie after lie to her parents who are getting extremely and increasingly worried about where the frick Kaylee is. They're used to seeing her almost every single day. And So after a couple of days, there's phone calls that are happening that aren't being answered. There's texts that aren't being answered. When she does answer, she's sort of always got an excuse of where Casey is. She's at Zanny's. Uh, We decided to take a mini vacation to Jacksonville. Because Um, we have so much money and we're borrowing the fucking family car. That's right. I have my job at Universal is going so well that I have to borrow a car, right? Because I don't have a car. She's always got an excuse for everything. But there are just these excuses starting to happen over and over and over again. So during this month, the lies start to really pile up. Yeah. She like basically barricades herself behind this wall of lies. Another thing happens in this in-between period from June 16th, when Kaylee was last seen, to July 15th when the 911 calls are placed. And that happens on June 24th. This is a week after Kaylee was last seen. What happens is at the family home on Hope Spring Drive, there's been a break-in in the garage. A lock has been broken and a couple of gas cans have gone missing. One of the gas cans had a piece of duct tape on it, a large, long piece of sort of silver gray duct tape 
that George had put on there previously. George had called the police to report the break-in and he saw Casey later that day. So this is again a week after Kaylee's last seen alive. And he argued with her about those missing gas cans because he kind of thought that she had them, that she had taken them. And of course he was right. And it turns out that her boyfriend, Tony, assisted her with that break-in and he later admits to that in court. But Wow. Way to go, Tony. Way to go, Tony. What a great guy. Break into your girlfriend's parents' garage. That's always good. Yeah. What a good guy. What girl doesn't want a guy that will do anything for her? He's the complete package. So she's arrived in the Sunfire at this point because she's kind of been driving it around. And she tells him, well, the gas cans are in the trunks. So, you know, if you want them, I can go get him. He's like, I'll go get him. So he starts to walk towards the back of the Sunfire. And the way he tells it in court, she kind of like bristles and is like, no, get, I'll get him. And she like brushes past him. (sighs) She quickly goes around to the back of the trunk, pulls out the gas cans and then throws them on the grass and says, here's your fucking gas cans. Wow. Way to talk to your dad. Right. Way to talk to your dad who like loves you. And then she slams the trunk shut quick as a flash. I bet. And she gets in and she drives away. Kaylee's nowhere to be seen, of course, right? Because she hasn't been seen since June 16th. And this is now June 24th. Yeah. And um, Casey was real quick to shut that trunk. Yep. She was real quick to shut uh, that trunk. If if maybe she hadn't been so quick, maybe Kaylee would have been seen in the trunk in case that's not clear. Or that the smell of decomposition was Mm. extremely strong and would have been very, very noticeable. My guess is one of the two. Yeah. At this point, either Kaylee's in the trunk or, or Kaylee smells. had been in the trunk and because Casey's a moron, <laughs> she left Kaylee in there for too long. This is my strong suspicion. And that there was a very strong smell of decomposition in the trunk. So one of the two at this time, I'm guessing. <sighs> anyway, she drives away. George goes to pick up the gas cans. He notices that the strip of gray sort of silvery duct tape that he put on the gas cans is now gone. And he assumes that Casey removed it. This will be very important at trial because this is an uncommon type of tape. And the same kind of tape, exactly the same kind of tape, was found covering Kaylee's nose and mouth when her remains are found about six months later. So we know something's up with the trunk. We know that the piece of tape that was previously on the gas cans stolen by Casey and her boyfriend slash fiance slash whatever, Tony. Henchman. Minion. um, That that piece of tape has now gone somewhere. That's somewhere, all right. So so this happens on June 24th, a week after Kaylee was last seen alive. Now, if indeed we do have a decomposition event happening in the back of that car at this time, And that would put Kaylee's likely demise on or around June 16th as pretty accurate given sort of the stages of decomposition if she was trying to hide a smell. Uh, Yeah, I, I just, I don't even know. I'm without words on this. So Cindy, who's kind of a bit of a go getter when it comes to her daughter, she starts calling around to Casey's friends and asking if they have seen Casey, if they have seen Kaylee, when was the last time they saw her? Where did she say she was going? She starts to kind of get some more information. 
And then on the 30th of June, Cindy and George get a call from a towing company telling them that the family car, which Casey had been borrowing, the the white Pontiac Sunfire with a bra, had been found abandoned outside of a cash advance business because of course it was abandoned outside of a cash advance business. It could only have been abandoned outside of like a strip club or like a porn store <laughs> to make it club more. That, yeah, that ends more with Casey the, like, Anthony. The, like a Z on the end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like balls. Yeah. Like in this loan place had to be like loans with a Z. Seriously. And so of course it's trashy because it involves Casey Anthony. So <laughs> they get this call that the car has been towed, it's been abandoned. And it's now at an impound lot. This was a pretty gigantic piece of news to Cindy and George. I would think so. Yeah, that car is supposed to be with Casey in Jacksonville, where she's apparently having this, quote, again, little mini vacation with Kaylee. So the car is at this impound lot. George heads with the manager of the impound lot towards where the Sunfire is parked. As he gets near it, both he and the manager can notice there's a particular smell coming from it. It's not super strong though, but it's just kind of like a, a nasty, rotten, garbagey kind of a smell. They open the door, the driver's side door, and this stench of a very particular and strong smell just comes rolling out. Later when they open up the trunk, which George actually does kind of fearfully, given what he recognizes from his time as a policeman. Yes, not when he was goofy. S- Not when he was goofy or wanted to be goofy, but when he was actually a cop, he encountered his share of dead bodies, as you do on the beat. He worked in homicide. Wow, the ironies compound. Right, yeah. He had several positions within the Ohio um, Police Department, but yeah, one was homicide. I don't know for how long, but he did work there. Not a lot of commendations came his way, I don't think. (laughs) No. George rising to the level of his mediocrity yet again. (laughs) So this car smells very particularly... If you are experienced with the smell of a dead body, which actually also the uh, impound lot manager was because uh, several years back, a person had committed suicide (gasps) and it had been two weeks in the suburb before they were discovered. So he recognized it and he said that was the same smell. There's nothing else to compare it to. It's specifically human decomposition. Like animals smell similar, but there's a little bit of a difference. But apparently a human body smells a very particular way. I've never smelled a human body, but I have have smelled a dead animal that Mm -hmm. decided to fucking do us the solid favor of dying under the house. There's like the entire wilderness to (laughs) die in. You had to choose literally the under part of my house that we can't get to. Thank you so much. I'll just ride this like, out for the next couple of weeks. Right. You just got to, you're like, okay, so there's going to be beetles and then there's going to be, okay, then, okay, we're looking at like two weeks. Sure. Yep, yeah. And we've got like, ants. We've got the maggots. Yeah. Then we'll have yeah. the flies. It's funny though. You should say that because later on when way down the road, when Kaylee is discovered, the entomological information that comes from the remains of a person is one of the most accurate ways to date a body. And to date when yeah. it expired because yeah. of not just what's there, but like the life cycles leave things behind, like casings and things like that, that tell a lot. We'll get to that. So here we are and we're at the impound lot and the car smells like death. George tells Cindy and Cindy's like, don't worry about it. Literally, she's just like, she's just like. I mean, what a, really? Cindy, mm-hmm. like, 
I I have to stop for just a moment and hover over this for a second. She tells mm-hmm. her husband, who, regardless of how successful or unsuccessful he was as a police officer, mm-hmm. who probably knows the smell of a dead body, when he says that there's this odor and she says not to worry about it, bitch, you're worried about your grandchild. Mm-hmm. Like, wouldn't you immediately, my mind would immediately be like, oh my God, something's happened. We need to. They are, they are nowhere near thinking that Kaylee is dead. Not to right? be morbid or terrible, but it would have been my first thought. I'm already worried about where the location of this child is. Nobody has seen her. I haven't mm-hmm. talked with her. I see her 99% of the time. And now there's a smell of a dead body that's been in an abandoned car in front of a mm-hmm. fucking check cashing place. Like, give me a break. My fucking daughter's a, a loser. Mm-mm. Now, a couple of things have happened during this time. So, first of all, the trunk had some trash in it, including some old pizza. Was Oh, and Casey so Anthony was, was in the trunk? <laughs> Sorry. Old pizza. That's really funny. That's what I'm going to call her from now on. Old pizza. old pizza. No, I meant the trash. <laughs> oh, my God. So, there's trash in the trunk. It can be explained away if you if you kind of say, okay, well, it's stinky, it's gross, there's like rotting pizza in the back. But if you do that, you really have to discount the experience of these two men who recognize the smell. So and anyway, they, they kind of move on. They're still trying to track down Casey. She's been really cagey about the use of her car. She's being evasive about Kaylee's whereabouts. And it's not even your car. She's abandoned it and had it impounded and it's been retrieved and the city's pissed. By the time July 15th, it's a Tuesday, by the time July 15th rolls around, Cindy has been increasingly frustrated with Casey's straight up stonewalling and refusal to produce Kaylee. (sighs) Now, remember that the disappearance happened right after a massive family blowout. So it's reasonable for Cindy to assume that Casey is withholding Kaylee from her just to be a giant bitch. Yeah, and to kind of get her back. But the story keeps changing. She's got this apparent suitor named Jeff who she's trying to kind of woo, and they're all at a hotel together. No, wait, that's not it at all. Jeff's cancer-ridden mom, Jules, uh, is having an impromptu birthday party, so we're going to go to that. No, wait, that's not true either. There is no Jeff. There is no Jules. There is no cancer. There is no birthday party. So just the lies keep mounting up. And during this time, Casey Anthony's behavior continues to be not only normal, but joyful. Yeah. She's off living her best fucking life. Her Bella Vita, if you will. My God. She also has two other tattoos, a shamrock. And a tramp stamp right in the small of her back. That would have really completed the circle, would have been complete if that was true. But no. I would have been, it was like a tattooed on like G-string that's always above your pants, even when you're always, not wearing It's an pants. eternal G-string. Mm-hmm. That's going to look hot when you're 80. So now Casey Anthony is... <laughs> just right up, back into it. Just right back into it. Like just fucking don't even blink. So now things are starting to really escalate in Cindy's mind. She's getting quite a bit more frantic. As you would imagine, 
I mean, she's not- starting to really to make demands. Like you need yeah. to tell me where she is. And Casey in her regular way continues to be evasive about where she, she's with Zanny. Look, she's tired. She's asleep. Look, just put her on the phone to me, Casey. I'm not going to put her on the phone. She's in the middle of a nap. And she's not here. I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm not there. We're there. We're not there. It's just like constant yeah. lies. And this Zanny, quote unquote, Zanny, it's supposedly somebody that Kaylee had been going to for childcare for like, what, like two years is what? Oh, yes. Casey said. Mm-hmm. I would think that Cindy and George being as involved as they are in this child's life would know who this person is. Now, this is their fatal floor. Yes. Is going along with the lie, even when they think it might be bullshit. Exactly. I'm like, I'm sorry, but I guess I'm just too controlling in my own life to where I would just be like, I no. Who I want this person's phone number. I want to talk to them. I want to know where they are. I'd do a Google search. I would hunt them down and track them down. There's a reason your kid's not in jail for freaking murder. <laughs> That's because true. Because they don't have fully formed frontal lobes. So you have to be their frontal lobe until yes. theirs gets developed. Until and they're what, 25, right? Like, it's like 24, 25. Yeah, it's a, yeah. Things are still kind of like, there's still some space to like firm things up. Yeah, and but Casey's like, young still. She's not there yet. She's no, not there. She's 22. Cindy's, Cindy's just feeding into the amazing string of lies that has been Casey's mm-hmm. life. Hello, listeners. All of us here at Homicide Worldwide are very excited to share one of our favorite podcasts with you. It's called Nerded Through the Grapevine. And here to tell you more about it are four best friends. Hey, everybody. I'm Dane Holland. It's a new STD, a sonic transmitted disease. (laughs) I'm Austin Shazam Pfeiffer. So it would be just a smushed mashed potato situation going on in my young adolescent crotch area. I'm Marcus Whitaker, known as I'm Electric Man. So instead of talking about how CERN is trying to open up a portal to hell and end the entire universe, I guess I'm just going to read jokes off the freaking internet. And I'm Austin Tiny Zen. Doctor Strange, he's circumcised because would you want an uncircumcised wizard? I don't think so. And if you'd like any of that to make any sense whatsoever, tune in to Nerd It Through the Grapevine, a podcast where four best friends gather weekly to talk about our favorite parts of past, present, and future nerd culture every Monday on Spotify, iTunes, and whatever your favorite app for podcast is. Come join us in the grapevine. You can find Nerdy Through the Grapevine wherever you listen to podcasts. So now we are at a very important date in this whole case, and that is Tuesday, July 15th, 2008. This is the day where what has so far been a private family matter Mm -hmm. breaks open and starts to become 
public. It's all our business now. It's everybody's fucking business now. Cindy has had enough. She hasn't seen Kaylee in a month. And remember, she's used to seeing her, quote, 99% of the time. Mm -hmm. Her daughter, Casey, is not answering questions. And so Cindy Anthony knows she's going to have to do some tough love. Maybe a little late for that, but okay. Yeah. 22 years old is too late to be educating your child about consequences. So Cindy is ready to lay down some tough love in Casey's direction. She is going to force Casey's hand and make her reveal where Kaylee is. And she's going to do that by finding her, driving to where she is at a friend's house, forcing her into the car, into Cindy's car, and then driving to a local police station. So she drives to this police station. It's on Pershing Avenue in Orlando. And Casey's next to her in the car. She is all fired up to have Casey arrested for, quote, grand theft because Casey, first uh, she used the car, she abandoned it. She essentially, quote, stole it. Yeah. And now they're out like 500 bucks in impound fees. And Casey has been racking up lots and lots and lots of debt to her parents. She's been borrowing money from them. She's also just been using, straight up using their accounts. She knows their account information. My God, why? Why, Casey? Almost $40,000. Bitch! I know, seriously. What? Right? This is what happens when you don't teach your children consequences. Everybody, teach your children consequences. It's really important. Oh my God. So, they're at the police station and here's Cindy just ready to lay it all down. She's like, you are going to freaking start talking, girl. So she calls 911 from just outside the police station where she's sitting. It's closed. So the 911 call goes a little something like this. This is the first of three that is made on this day. Hi, I drove to the police department here on Pershing, but you guys are closed. I need to bring someone into the police department. Can you tell me the closest one I could come into? I didn't know police departments closed. Well, like like the little like substations and shit. Like for the day. Oh, it's a substation. I see. Yeah, it's not like a big one. It's just like one of the little ones out in the burbs. When the Orlando Police Department hears that someone's trying to bring someone else in, they say, what are you trying to accomplish by bringing them to the station? I have a feeling that's not the first time that dispatcher has asked that question. No. I have a 22-year-old person that has grand theft sitting in my auto with me. In my auto. In my auto. So they go back and forth about this and about who stole what and when. It's like, oh, my car was stolen. We retrieved it. Um, We found out where it was at and we retrieved it. And I've got that. And I've got affidavits from my banking account. I want to bring her in. I want to press charges. So they established that because of Cindy's address, the jurisdiction is actually going to be that of the sheriff's office and not the Orlando Police Department. So the dispatcher ends the call, but at this point on the 911 call, the line is still open and it's still being recorded and there's an exchange between Cindy and Casey. Remember, they're sitting right next to each other so we can hear everything that's going on. Cindy says to Casey, because my next thing will be down to child something, something, and we'll have a court order to get her. If that's what you want to play, then we'll do it. And you'll never. And then Casey interrupts and says, 
well, that's not the way I want to something, something. Cindy <laughs> says, well, then you have, and Casey says, give me one more day. And Cindy says, no, I'm not giving you another day. I've given you a month. So in this call, Cindy's pissed, but she's not scared. She thinks Casey is deliberately withholding Kaylee from her. And she's using this whole bullshit with the car and Casey's theft of, you know, thousands of dollars to send Casey a message that your shit is not going to fly around here this time. This is what the first 911 call is supposed to accomplish. I can understand the whole tough love thing if they hadn't reinforced this type of exact behavior her entire life. You can't just bust out the tough love. No. After 20 something years and expect it to fucking stick. That's exactly right. You can't tell somebody you've done the dishes for for 25 years that it's time for them to start doing the dishes. They don't know how to do their fucking dishes. No, it's literally ingrained in them. Yeah. She doesn't know how to tell the truth (laughs) because you've not taught her that it's important. So the second 911 call happens not long after. They're actually home by now. There's a little note that's changed in Cindy's voice if you listen to it, which you can. It's online. All this crap's online now. It's wonderful. So the second 911 call, Cindy says that she's got someone here at her house that needs to be arrested. She's kind of following up from that first call. They're back at their house now on Hope Spring Drive. And she says, I have a possible missing child. I have a three-year-old that's been missing for a month. Why? How is that possible if she's been missing a month? Right. And and look at the order of things that she says here. Like, There's not a huge urgency here. I have someone needs to be arrested and I have a possible missing child. Cindy doesn't yet really believe Kaylee is missing. She's using this again to try to force Casey's hand into telling her where the hell her granddaughter is. So a three-year-old says the dispatcher. Yes, says Cindy. Have you reported that? I'm trying to do that now, ma'am. So nasty. Sassy. Yeah. And then she kind of goes into the whole spiel about, you know, that Casey stole the car and the money and that they spoke to someone and said that they put it through, blah, blah, blah. They kind of go into this back and forth about Casey and the dispatcher asks about Casey. She's there right now. And Cindy says, yes, I got her. I finally found her after a month. She's been missing for a month. I found her, but we can't find my granddaughter. She still doesn't believe that it's like a missing person's case. Yeah. And then the dispatcher says, is she not telling you where her daughter is? And Cindy says, correct. So this is what you need to know in the second call. This is Cindy's opinion that Casey's just not telling her where Kaylee is. And so the dispatcher is like, all right, well, we're going to escalate this. So they actually say, we're going to send someone out to you as soon as one's available. And Cindy says, thank you. And they hang up. So the third 911 call is the most notorious of these three calls, and it happens about an hour later. And it's notorious for an eye-popping statement that Cindy makes about a particular smell in the trunk of the car. So remember, this is all happening on the same day, July 15th, one month after Kaylee was last seen. So 911, what's your emergency? And now Cindy, when you hear her, she pauses here because she needs to kind of gather herself you can hear in her voice that she has been crying she's kind of short of breath she's She's frantic (laughs) yeah she's frantic she's losing her shit 
she says. I called a little bit ago. My granddaughter has been taken. She's been missing for a month. Her mother finally admitted that she's been missing. I want someone here now. And then they go back and forth about, you know, what's happening. And then Sydney clarifies this information that she has just now gotten from her daughter. So the 911 dispatcher says, your daughter admitted that the baby is where? And Cindy says this, that the babysitter took her a month ago, that my daughter's been looking for. I told you my daughter was missing for a month and I just found her today, but I can't find my granddaughter. She just admitted to me that she's been trying to find her herself. There's something wrong. I found my daughter's car today and it smells like there's been a dead body in the damn car. Okay, that's like the mic drop of the fucking year, dude. Right. Like, so also, Cindy's a nurse, dude. She knows what dead and dying and rotting bodies smell right. like. Yeah. Right? And she's also smelled it. And George smelled it. And they know what it smells like, right? Yeah, So they exactly. go through, you know, what does Katie look like? How big is she? You know, Cindy's losing her shit. You can hear it. The dispatcher asks to speak to Casey. So... Cindy's kind of told her, you know, oh that Casey finally admitted that Zenny, that the, the, the nanny took her a month ago, blah, blah, blah. And then the, the dispatcher says, you know, I need to talk to Casey. So Casey's like, hello. She's her so tone, her oh my fucking God. tone in this. Mm-hmm. I wanted to honestly just reach through and garrot her yeah, with the phone. Awful. Her tone is like that of like a 15 year old teenager Mm -hmm. who has been caught doing something naughty and doesn't want to apologize but is now being forced to apologize sorry I'm sorry why are you making me do this this is such an inconvenience yeah so they go back a little bit and the dispatcher says can you tell me a little bit of what's been going on and Casey says my daughter's been missing for the last 31 days (laughs) just like that how nonchalant. How I really nonchalant. just take that in. I mean, I think, as I said before, if you're any kind of parent and your child is missing for 31 seconds. It's just so abnormal to not have gotten law enforcement involved. It's just so abnormal. You wouldn't do that. An innocent person wouldn't do that. Anyway. And also, too, to go back to the tone of her, there mm-hmm. is zero urgency in her voice. Her mother as her mom is sort of is coming to terms with and realizing what is most likely afoot when the dispatcher finally gets on the phone with Casey Casey is like she's almost petulant exactly and it's just her whole like you know who has her okay you know you you know who has her but I've been like going through other channels so there is something that she says that's very important to see that Casey Anthony does. She has about four lying techniques. We'll see them all, but one of them is that when she feels like she's kind of backed into a corner or when she's asked a question point blank, Mm. that the only answer to has to be the truth or has to be a really good lie. She always puts this, I know I did this, which was stupid, or I did this, which I, you know, I was an idiot to do that. Mm. And there's a thing about that, like when you take on that blame of yourself, you do it before the other person can do it. And it makes them believe you. It makes them like, oh, you know, look, she was trying and and she sees that it wasn't a smart thing to do now. It kind of gives a reasoning behind your lie. And so the dispatcher says to her, why are you calling now? Why didn't you call 31 days ago? And Casey says, I've been looking for her and I've gone through other resources to try to find her. 
which is stupid. And technically, Casey wasn't the one who called. Technically, it was still Cindy who called. And Casey was just cornered into this conversation. So she still didn't really actually call. That's right. And I see a lot of people saying, well, Cindy must have been in on it somehow because why didn't she call? She had 31 days to call. Look at the history between this whole family and you can see why she didn't call. We've practically explained it. It's because of this whole like, you know, just let the world just kind of gently fold around the lie and just keep going and going and just let it continue and Mm -hmm. don't acknowledge it. Don't call it out. Don't demand an explanation for it. Just kind of ignore it. And she does that until she just can't stand it anymore. And that's July 15th, 2008. So the officers turn up and while Casey's on the phone with the dispatcher and the dispatcher finishes the call and then things get really, really, really real, really real, really fast. There is an initial questioning by the deputy who turned up and right away, he noticed that Casey was less than forthcoming. Yeah. She did not want to answer the questions. She gave yes and no answers or the least amount of information that she could. Not the behavior of a mother who's worried about her daughter being missing for over a month. No. And even when she was still on the 911 call and the 911 dispatcher was asking her who has Kaylee, she gives this whole thing about the Zenaida Fernandez Gonzalez person. Mm-hmm. Zenny the nanny. And goes so far as to even like give them a proper spelling of it. Right. She this is these are the details yeah, that really like elevate these, her to like just, the level of lies. She gives these details. Like she's like, Yeah, just here it is. This is the spelling. And yeah. she comes out with it like quick, like she's done it before. She's yeah. got it. It's just right there. I just can't. And then like to come up with the last name too, Fernandez Gonzalez. Really? Right, it's hyphenated. Of course it's fucking hyphenated because of fucking Casey Anthony. She couldn't just have Fernandez. Or Gonzalez. Like it couldn't be. You have to put in these convincing fucking details like, hmm, a hyphenated name. Doesn't that seem so much more likely? Why would I fake a hyphenated name? Who does that? Who would do such a thing? Who fakes a hyphenated name? Nobody does that. Yeah. No jury will convict. (laughs) Speaking of Jody Arias, isn't it interesting that this all happened like in the same month as Mm -hmm. uh, Travis Alexander and Jody Arias is a big fucking fan. Yeah. Of Casey Anthony. Uh So Lee has been kind of in the background here so far, but he plays a pretty big role in this whole case. So older brother Lee is told to come to the Anthony family home on this fateful day of July 15th, 2008. After, you know, the smell of the car has kind of come out and all this BS is happening and he's trying to mediate back and forth between Casey and Cindy. And Lee says, this is in his testimony, that he asks Casey why she would not bring Kaylee home. And Lee recalls Casey telling him, maybe because I'm a spiteful bitch. There is no maybe about it. Take that out. And you have the first time in your life, the very first time you've ever told the truth. So Lee's trying to persuade Casey to tell him where Kaylee is. And at this point, Casey's insisting, remember, this is the day it all comes out, that Kaylee's already asleep at the nanny's house and I don't want to wake her up and disrupt her sleeping routine. Oh. Mm -hmm. Now, just before 
the detectives come and we all start airing everything out. Casey tells Lee for the first time about the kidnapping story. That <sighs> the kidnapping story is that she left Kaylee with Zenaida Fernandez Gonzalez, aka Zanny. Mm. AKA Zanny the Nanny, not Xanax for sure. Super not and Xanax. Super not. Where'd you get Zanny that idea from? No, Zanny the Nanny isn't a nickname for Xanax. No, mm-mm. I've never taken it, but maybe I need that for my upcoming flight. You should, you totally should. Lee had heard this kidnapping story from Casey and then it was shared with Cindy. And then of course all hell breaks loose. Lee notes in his testimony that Casey had complained to him about Cindy's treatment of her. Casey said that Cindy numerous times had thrown in her face that she was an unfit mother for Kaylee. And we've touched on that before. At that time, Casey says to Lee, maybe I am. So the first officer who arrives at the Anthony home on Hope Spring Drive is Corporal Raymond Fletcher. And again, as I said before, he testified in trial that Casey was not forthcoming but later agreed to go with him in his car to the nanny's apartment. Because surely if your nanny has kidnapped your kid, the first stop should be going to the nanny's apartment. So Casey identifies an apartment at a place called the Sawgrass Apartments. And it's hard for me to say as an Australian, Sawgrass, Sawgrass. There you go. Very good. That was very American of you. In Australia, it's Sawgrass. Sawgrass Apartments. Well, that sounds so much better. So they're driving around in Corporal Fletcher's patrol car. That sounds so official. Doesn't it? It is. <laughs> they drive past the Sawgrass Apartments and Casey points out to him a door. And she's like, that's where Zanny, my nanny, Ew. used to live. And so they get out and they knock and nobody answers the door. And looking through the window, the apartment appears to be vacant. The apartment property manager later testifies that that apartment had been vacant for five months and no one by the name of Zaneda Gonzalez, Zaneda Fernandez Gonzalez or Zaneda Fernandez or any combination of those three words had ever lived in the entire complex. No, they didn't. You know what's weird, though? On Mm. either side of the complex, there was somebody by the name of Zaneda Mm -hmm. and then somebody by the last name Fernandez Gonzalez. How fascinating. I don't know if Casey somehow knew this, if there was some moment where she had like stole a, somebody's in the mail and it went together in her head. Exactly. Like exactly. Suspects mm-hmm. and it all just like all these things that have happened in her life just come together and that's what makes it. Yes, exactly. But yeah, as far as the actual Zenaida Fernandez Gonzalez, who was the kidnapping nanny, that person doesn't exist. Uh, being the criminal mastermind that she is, Casey also told Lee and told a detective who later came to the house that a call had come in through an unlisted number and who should be on the phone but Kaylee. Didn't she want to talk about her shoes? She wanted to talk about shoes. Yeah. And she wanted to talk to her mom. Yeah. And she, she, she sounded okay and relaxed. And she's she sweet. Right. Why don't you tell me about your shoes today? Did you have, <laughs> did they tie or do they have Velcro? Do they have lights in them? Do they have the little roller things that make you into a little skater? Oh my God. And so they, <sighs> bitch. Right. She is a bitch. And so she's telling them that she got this call. She obviously didn't. And that when she said to Kaylee, Kaylee, is there an adult there? Put an adult on the line. 
the phone went dead. Obviously, because this is a missing persons case, right? Because that's the story we're fucking going with right now. After midnight, so we're now slipping into the early morning of July 16th, a detective in the missing persons department named Yuri Melich arrived at the Anthony home and joined the investigation and started questioning her. Now, even though she was being a little cagey, he didn't yet think that she was a suspect. And so when he took her statement, he took it as a witness and not as a suspect. So she didn't get rid of her Miranda rights, which if you know anything about Miranda rights, one of the first ones that you hear is you have the right to remain silent. And Casey certainly is not good at remaining silent. Nope. Not when she's got a big story to tell. And she initially claimed that Kaylee had disappeared on June 9th, 2008. Now, astute listeners will notice that that doesn't possibly line up with the experiences of her family or the experiences of other people, which are easily corroborated and verifiable that Kaylee was last seen on the 16th of June. Right. All of our listeners are astute. They caught that. They totally caught that. She gives a very detailed description of the nanny. She gives height, weight, hair color, hairstyle, um, information about places she's lived in the past, information about her friends. No, wait, there's more. Zenny, the nanny's from New York City. She moves to Florida for college and she stayed in the area. She has a mom named Gloria. She moved three times while living in Orlando. Casey also gave a pretty detailed description of the apartment's interior. She previously told her mother that Zenny got her long hair cut short. They're still going. There's still information. So Zenny drives a Ford Focus. Ford family, right? Something redeeming, finally. Mm-hmm. Also, Casey later claims that when Kaylee was taken from her, here's a new relative of Zenita's, Samantha, her sister, that Samantha held Casey down while Zenita took Kaylee away, saying that Casey was a bad mother. Okay, well, actually, that's true. That is true. Um, so, Detective Yuri Milich, he doesn't really screw around. So, he starts looking at all the facts that she's giving him. Where do you work? You know, who are your friends? Blah, blah, blah. And she's telling him this whole story. I work at Universal Studios. I'm an event coordinator. I've worked there since this date. You know, who can corroborate your story about Zenny? Oh, well, I have a coworker and his name is Jeff Hopkins. Yeah. Jeff Hopkins, really? Okay. And who's this guy? Oh, uh, he used to be my boyfriend. He's got a son named Zachary. Yeah. Who's about the same age as Kaylee and the kids often play together. None of this is true. Okay. So Jeff Hopkins is a real person and he yeah. did know Casey Anthony in freaking middle school. And he bumped into her one time at a bar where they were like, oh, hey, Jeff. Oh, hey, Casey. Remember middle school? Yeah. Didn't that suck? Yeah. Okay. Bye. And that was that. So that was his entire interaction with Casey Anthony in his life. But she created this whole story about how they worked together at Universal Studios. He was wealthy. He worked at Nickelodeon, moved to North Carolina. And back to Jacksonville. All this is incorrect. All of this is is untrue. He never moved. Not one time. He was always, always in that same area. Cindy testifies in court that she found a picture of Jeff and the son Zachary on Casey's cell phone identified, uh, sort of filed under boyfriend. 
But That's some commitment to your lie, baby. Crazy thing is, is that Jeffrey Michael Hopkins didn't have children. So that wasn't a picture of Mm-mm. Jeff or his son who doesn't exist. No. And also the son who didn't exist never mm-hmm. played with Kaylee. And also no. the son who never existed that never played with Kaylee was not being cared for by Zaneda. Which she had claimed. Casey had claimed this. She kind of got to know Zaneda through Jeff because his son Zachary was being cared for by this woman named Zaneda. And so they kind of like co-used Zaneda's nannying services and like, you know, like shared a little bit of the fee. Yeah. Bullshit. All bullshit. And also um, when he worked at Universal, the mm. Nickelodeon, he only worked there for like a year and was fired. Yeah. Right. I mean, you were a pawn in her game is really yeah. what it boils down It's really to. what you come down and to. And he right, didn't exactly. even remember ever working. He's like, yeah, I kind of worked with her. Maybe I saw mm-hmm. her. Like they were nothing. Casey also told Cindy that Jeff's mom, supposedly named Jules, not her name, <sighs> had cancer, which she didn't. And Cindy was so convinced that she was going to be meeting Jeff and his mom for Christmas that she baked a fucking cake. She's like, this could be his mother's last Christmas. I better make a cake. Gonna meet Jeff finally. Because they hadn't met Jeff. They knew about boyfriend Jeff, but they haven't met Jeff, right? Yeah. Finally, they're gonna meet Jeff. Oh no, the meeting was canceled at the last minute. Who could have foreseen such an unfortunate event? Wow, how'd that happen, Casey? So Casey was also saying that during that period of a month where Cindy was up her ass about where the hell is my granddaughter, Casey claimed that, this is one of her many claims, that they were staying in Jacksonville for Jules Hopkins' surprise wedding. What? Jules Hopkins didn't know she was getting married? I think she knew she was getting married. It was a surprise for everybody else. And it was a surprise for everybody else. (laughs) You wake up in the, just, you know, some random day. Surprise, we're getting married. We're getting married. I had no time to prepare for this. But Jeff Hopkins was not the only mystery person that she created. Another was called Juliette Lewis. The actress? Oh, my God. I know. I thought it might have been the actress, too. But no, it's just random Juliette Lewis. This reminds me so much of an episode of 30 Rock where... Liz Lemon is trying to think up a name really quickly off the top of her head. <laughs> and she's hiding in a men's toilet stall, talking to a person across from the stall from her named Kenneth. And she comes up with the name Kenneth Toilet Hole. <laughs> I That's mean, what she's looking at. She's like, turns around, she's like, Kenneth. Uh. Toilet hole. Amazing. And that's how I feel that Juliet Lewis came up. She's like, Ju- uh, Juliet, uh, fuck, what was it? Juliet Lewis. Lewis, Juliet Lewis. Perfect. Juliet Lewis was someone that Casey became close friends with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they she worked in the col- same department. Same department at Universal Studios. Juliet had a daughter named Annabelle. Isn't that a beautiful name? It's nice. Isn't it also yeah. like part of that haunted series of movies like oh. The Conjuring? I have The Conjuring with creepy uh-huh. children. Yeah, mm, that makes yeah, a lot of sense. Yeah. Juliet was also a really, she liked to give back to her community and oh. she was involved in volunteer work. What a good person. She really was. There was actually a time when Casey and again, fucking Cindy, the world's biggest patsy, oh. went to help Juliet with a fundraiser. But after oh. waiting for about 90 minutes, Juliet just didn't show up. To her own fundraiser. Our own fundraiser. They were going to help her, you know, because she was such a volunteer and so much part yeah. of the community. You know, something must really be wrong with Juliet Lewis because really she's a good be. person. 
She would never stand you up like that. Never. So Casey was really mystified by why she didn't turn up. Surprise. It turns out it was because she was fake and not a real human. Casey told her mom that Juliet moved back to New York. And that just kind of tied a nice little bow on that whole relationship. Um, did she move back to where Zaneda was from in New York? Oh, my God. Everybody's from New York. Wow. So as you can see, the amount of bullshit building is absolutely surreal. And what happens next, again, can only be described as surreal. So Detective Melich at this point has started to run down some of these facts and he's just getting dead ends across the board. There's no one named Zenaida who's lived there. There's nobody named Jeffrey Hopkins who currently works at Universal Studios. There's nobody named Juliette Lewis who currently works at Universal Studios. And there's no child Zach. There's no child Zach belonging to Jeff. Casey, who claims she's an event coordinator at Universal Studios. She wasn't. I know. I, I'm surprised as you are, a listener. So the surprising thing here is how quickly and easily these facts were disproven. <laughs> because something like where you work is so instantly provable as true or false that it's almost incomprehensible that a person would lie about something that is so the first thing that somebody checks is, is that we work. And they don't even have to freaking call anyone to get that information, dude. That's mm -hmm. all in databases and computers and shit now. We're in the 20 aughts. Come on. We're in the, yeah, there's like, you can computer that now. <laughs> and so Yuri computers the crap out of this. And he finds out that all of this is bullshit. And so he's like, hmm, let's see how far we can take this. Yeah. And he was at this point, they were trying to corner her into her own web of lies. Because yeah. they know they can smell it. They're like, she's fucking lying. And it smells real bad. Yeah. Desperation so. is a stinky perfume. So Sunday, July 16th, the day after those 911 calls from Cindy, Detective Melich knows the apartment's been vacant for months and many other details about Kaylee's disappearance had not panned out. Mm. He asks Casey to go with him on a little trip to Universal Studios to check out some of the details of her statements. I'd like to see where you work, Casey. And just to see where you work and just verify a few things. And she absolutely agrees. She's like, sure, anything I can do to help find Kaylee is that that's really all that I'm focused on right now. So they turn up at the front gate and the assistant manager of loss prevention at Universal is named Leonard Tertora. And he's kind of already been questioned by Detective Mellich. So he kind of knows a tiny bit about what's going on. At the front gate, they let her talk her way in. I think that's adorable that the assistant manager of loss prevention knows that she's going to come in and kind of go through this kind of be in Universal Studios Park. But the cops just kind of let her talk her way in. So she goes up to the security and she's like, hi, I'm an employee here. I work in the event department. My name is Casey Anthony and I've lost my ID because of course she did, right? Right. Um, I've lost my ID and um, I'm here to help these detectives find my daughter and I need to go in and get into my office. And so they're like, come on in. They open the door, they let her in. She comes in and she points to a building where she says she works. The assistant manager of loss prevention, Mr. Tertora and Detective Melich and Casey all go for a little tour of Universal Studios sort of office building like staff a 25 area. minute tour i i'm sorry but if i work in an office mm -hmm. i'm gonna just take you to my desk it's gonna literally take us like four seconds to get there maybe That's an right. elevator ride 
And the reason it takes so fucking long is because she doesn't know where she's going. Yeah. She starts walking down hallways, upstairs. Let's go in this store. Let's turn around here. Elevator I hope up. they wore sensible shoes for this one. Oh my God. Can you imagine being them? Of just like, she's walking ahead. She's leading them. And they're looking at each other and being like, what's going on with this crazy bitch? <laughs> yeah. I can only, could you imagine if you and I were can the detectives? Oh die. my God. Can you imagine the looks? <laughs> oh, that would be so much fun. That's our next incarnation, friend. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Techni and Lacey, but with like <laughs> bad personal hygiene. And, oh my God. Uh, I'm speaking for myself. I was going to say, I'm like, yeah. um, are you trying to tell me something? No, no, no. Do I no. smell like an onion. No, smell o vision. It doesn't happen yet. It's scratch and sniff at Zoom. No. no. So they're walking around and finally they get to the end of a corridor. And she kind of slows down <sighs> and she turns around and looks at them with a kind of a little rueful laugh, like, <laughs> Actually, I don't work here. How, Casey, did you get to this point? So (laughs) even though a bunch of her information had been bad, he really did want to believe her up until that point. He didn't necessarily think that she was guilty of something nefarious. And during the trial, when he testified, this is uh, Detective Melich, he testified and said, she was very persuasive. Even at this time, I could not imagine this was a ruse because of the fucking details man the details and the details and the details so yeah but i still don't understand how nobody's seeing through this well they're starting to they're really starting to and (sighs) you can see again she is playing her program yeah keep lying keep extending the lie expanding the lie elaborating on the lie changing the lie until either you run out of places to go in which case you go actually i don't really work here so at this point, Detective Melich is just like, okay. So he asks Mr. Tortora if he can please have a room. And Leonard Tortora finds him a room that is empty, that is a place they can sit and chat. And this conversation is recorded and it's extraordinary. So it's extraordinary because you get to listen to about the two or three different techniques that Casey Anthony consistently uses when she's lying. There's a couple. One is this, mm-hmm, 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 that she does <laughs> when she's being presented with a list of facts that incriminate her. She's a sort of establishing rapport with the person who's talking by almost agreeing with them. It's very strange to listen to because it's so off-putting it's such an unusual way to respond when somebody's listening. Like you told us this, you told us that. We know that's not true. We know that's not true. And she's going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just unusual. Those things don't gel together. If you had lied, you would be like, "Look, I didn't look. There's something." Blah blah blah. You'd be trying to explain yourself. Yeah, exactly. Right. There's that. There's the defensive exclamation where she's like, "I don't know where she is. That's what I'm trying to do." If I knew, I'd tell you. And it's like, it's this fake exasperation that like, I'm just so at the end of my tether and look how much I care by how strongly I'm saying these words. So this is another thing that she does. <clears throat> and she really does. So when you, you listen to this, you can hear it. And Detective Melich is just not having any of it. So he tells her to her face that he can't verify the information that she provided the night before. And this is a, a little conversation they had. He says to her, I can tell you with certainty that everything you've told me has been a lie. And then he says, we're here because 
she says, because I lied. That was one of the very few times I've ever heard her admit that she lied. But they go back and forth like this, where she's saying something and he's saying, no, that's not true. You didn't do that. We know you didn't do it. She says, I dropped her off at Zanny's apartment. The detective says, no, you didn't. That's exactly where I dropped her off. No, you didn't. And who did you drop her off with? I dropped her off with Zaneda. No, you didn't. He's just not fucking having it. He is just meeting her lies with complete rebuttals because he knows what's true. Yeah. Finally, she says, I don't know where Kaylee is. That's those like those defensive exclamations that she does. And he says, yeah, you do. Detective Millich is not here to play. He's really not. So during this interview, there is a moment where he kind of lays out this idea of her feeling like she's going to be perceived as a bad mom. Maybe you're worried something happened. It was an accident. She fell or, you know, maybe she drowned. Because they had a pool. A a plausible theory. Right. I have to say something here because Mm. this theory that maybe drown. And this comes out in court. This whole like, this is the defense's argument. Yeah. In trial that she drowned. The thing is with that is as horrible as this is, as far as like a statistic and to say is kids drown in pools. Mm -hmm. It is a thing that sadly shittily happens. Mm -hmm. And when children tragically drown in a pool, I have never heard in the news of charges that have been filed for murder. Now, I mean, it's extremely rare even to get something like a manslaughter. Usually, yeah, like, I was going to say that it was an accident and a tragedy is usually enough yeah. to dissuade the police from pushing for something worse. To create all of this mm-hmm. scenario that she's this world, this universe that she's created around what they ultimately try to use as a fucking defense, which is that the baby drowned. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't get it. It doesn't, none of this makes sense. No, it doesn't. Because you don't go on trial for murder like that if, if it's a true accident. That's right. You call and yeah, I can, I can completely appreciate that you'd be frantic. You'd be scared. You wouldn't really necessarily know what to do. I get all that. Like I Mm totally, I totally get that. But I mean, I think most people would probably be like, well, I'm not going to go for murder. They give her a freaking out. They ask her straight up. Maybe there was, you know, an accident. You don't want to be perceived as a bad mom. This is the time to come out and tell us. They basically said, you know, you're not going to be held guilty of murder if it wasn't murder. Like, this is the time to tell us. And she says, and this is a quote, if I knew where she was, if something had happened, I would have admitted that a long time ago. She means if if an accident had happened, I would have admitted that a long time ago. Yeah, you had a chance to. Yeah, they even offered her when they were talking with her, is there anything that you want to change about your story? Mm -hmm. Like they knew that what she was saying and what she was spinning was just complete and utter bullshit. That's right. From top to bottom, left to right, side to side, diagonally, however you want to cut this up. Like every bit of it was just a lie. One lie on top of the next. And so they gave her an out. They said, do you want to change anything about this? No, this is a story I'm going to stick with. But she was, she was absolutely sticking with it. And so that day, later that day, Casey Anthony is arrested. Now, at this point, she's arrested, not for murder, because they don't know if there's a dead child or not. Mm. She's arrested for child neglect, 
because she doesn't know where her fucking kid is. And she hasn't made much of an effort to find her. Because she's been trying to exhaust other resources. She's also uh, arrested for giving false statements to police and obstruction of an investigation, which, you know, she's wasted so much of their time. Because if this really is like a missing persons case, time is of the essence, although it's been 31 days, so not really. So she's arrested. She goes to jail. And she she sits there for quite some time. Like, she's there for well over a month. There is another fascinating recorded interaction in the jail. Is it the one between her parents and Casey Anthony? Yes. Are there several that happened? There are several. And there's a couple that are so indicative of where her focus is. And it is not on finding Kaylee. Of course it's not because she knows she's dead. No, when I was watching this footage, you know, you can really only gut out so much before you just want to like rip your hair out and run screaming because light yourself on fire. As I was listening to it, her mom is trying to draw out the truth. There's one in particular where Casey is kind of like looking down. She's on the other side of the glass and, you know, the parents are on their side of the glass. The mom says, I need you to look up. And they get into this weird little like, mini squabble about where I can't look at the camera and look up at you. But then the second that she starts looking at her mom, did you notice that the second she starts looking at her mom, she actually had a moment and she started crying. It was like one of the very first times she's ever shown any kind of emotion around this. But the thing is like, I, I wasn't reading it. Like she was connected to Kaylee's disappearance slash now what we know murder. I read it like she was having to look into her mother's eyes as she sat on the other side. And this is now her life. And this is this is the life she's carved out for herself. It didn't really have anything to do with the fact that her baby was gone. Yeah. If Casey Anthony is shedding a tear. It's only for can, Casey Anthony. Yeah. You can be pretty certain that it's a Casey Anthony related tear. And La Bella Vida, baby. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about with the, the Bella Vita shit, that is a tattoo that she got during that intervening month where Kaylee was missing. Before she got locked up, she got this, uh, t- this cursive tattoo that said La Bella Vita, or the beautiful life, um, <sighs> which is not something that you would expect a person with a missing little girl to get. I'd be on TV with like an up everybody's ass. Yes, you would. Because exactly. <laughs> you're a normal person. And um, by the way, mm. as I was telling you earlier, her tattoos. So she has this shitty thing on her shoulder, I believe. She has a shamrock and cherries. Mm-hmm. Does she have it on like her hip or like? Yes, like in fact. God, that was just a guess. Are you oh, serious? Yes, I am. One That's of them is on her hip and I don't know that I know where the other tattoo is. I bet she's got a tattoo of like a lipstick kiss, like right on her ass. Oh, she probably does. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. So the judge denied bail and said, quote, Casey had shown a woeful disregard for the welfare of her <sighs> child. No shit. Set bail at $500,000. She was released on August 21st from jail after her bond was posted. And August 21st was uh, a little over a week after Kaylee, what would have been Kaylee's third birthday. Had her mother not been somehow responsible for her demise, correct, Mundo? So part of the footage that I was starting to, to talk about when Casey Anthony was talking with Cindy and 
George and they were there. Cindy was like trying to draw this out. And, you know, she was talking to Casey and she was saying, you know, uh, Kaylee's birthday, you know, is it like, I don't want to wait. It's in a couple of weeks. And Casey was just like, I don't want to wait either. And like the way her, like just her whole demeanor was, was she was so Mm -hmm. defensive. And then she goes into how she would do anything. And she's, I would lie and I would steal. And I'm like, but you've done both those things. Like, and mm-hmm. still not turning up your baby. And so she's just sitting there, like, just feeding her parents all these lies. Mm-hmm. And the mom, you can kind of hear in her voice because she's talking to her. And she's just like, once we find Kaylee, like, everything's going to be okay. Right? Yeah. Like, this hopeful, but like, I really know in my gut that it's not going to be okay. Nothing's been found yet. So I still have like some measure of hope. And so she's, you know, and Casey's like, I don't know. Like Yuri has it out for me. I'm like, he has it out for you because you murdered your child. And you lied and lied and and lied. And you wasted his time. You know what the cops really hate? When people lie to them. Hello, Casey. Also, they're not really super fond of like child killers either. Mm, There's that. So... This whole thing breaks open and it's in the news. It's in the press. This woman's been arrested for like, where is her child? If you can imagine it in the current era, it's like that time. Remember Lori Vallow when (laughs) nobody knew where her children were. And she's like having her little Hawaii party with her new husband, Chad. But like, but everyone was like, where are your kids? Where are your children? She's like, I don't have children. And she, but she wouldn't say, and it's kind of like people were like looking at Casey Anthony and being like, okay, where is she? What's going on? You've lied so much. But at the same time, there was a willingness to believe that this child was legitimately missing. So there was a lot of like search parties. There was, you know, combing the woods and all that sort of thing. So enter Roy Cronk. Oh, Roy. Poor Roy nice older gentleman who was a meter reader. Roy Cronk, he's driving around doing his job and he pulls over to the side of the road about a half a mile away from the Anthony residence on Hope Spring Drive. In August. Now let's think about the timeline here. So right now it's August 11th when Roy Cronk is pulling his utility vehicle over to the side of the road and getting out. I think he had to like go take a leak or something. Um, It's hot as balls because it's Florida in August. He gets out of his car and he kind of wanders down into this sort of forest area that's kind of off the road. And while he's kind of there, he sees something on the ground near a log. Suspicious. He tells them that it looks suspicious. And so he calls the the sheriff's office and the tip line and they say they'll call him back, which they don't. Yeah. And the first, well, the first call, he ends up getting rerouted. Oh, that's right. He does get rerouted. Yeah. He's like, they're like, this is a matter for the sheriff. And then, so he ends up having to like go that route and then they don't. Defeated by bureaucracy. Yeah. They don't really like give any credence to this call. They're like, oh, this guy's just a meter reader. So he calls again the very next day and on this occasion he calls the sheriff's office and he's eventually met by two police officers he says to them he saw something that seemed to be a skull near a gray bag and the officer who turned up on the scene uh, the officers they, they kind of looked around but they couldn't really see anything and I can't imagine it was a very thorough search. And no. also, did a child not just disappear 
half a mile from this very location. You would but, sort okay. of think that perhaps there'd be a sense of urgency in law enforcement to find out. It, just go look. So fucking poor Roy calls again the next day and he's given the runaround. He's like, well, they came out and looked, they didn't find anything. <sighs> so he kind of keeps an eye on it. There's some rain. It's hard to see things, blah, blah, blah. And then on December 11th, he calls the police again <laughs> because he's gone and taken a look and he thinks he can see something and they search and they find the remains of a child in yeah. a trash bag. Yeah, they do. And there had been that tropical storm Faye uh, right. that had made landfall in Florida in August. And so there was a lot of water mm-hmm. from that. The second time around when they did their quote unquote search, maybe there was just no real way to get there. I don't know. When you see this wooded area, it really is just a freaking tangle. As well. Oh, it's like, yeah, it's like a rainforest. I mean, to us anyway, we don't get rain where I live. No, and no, no, so, we're in the West. What's rain? <laughs> yeah. And so it's very hard to say what the texture and what the, the integrity of the ground was like, like how far back was this? I, you know, it's mm-hmm. anybody's guess, but one way or another, yes, that little baby was out there for, well, this was December 11th. So you do the math. Mm-hmm. Six months. That's how they found her in a trash bag dumped like a piece of fucking trash with some duct tape and that's that. I'm not going to say any more about that. So of course this site was now considered, you know, a major crime scene. It was taped off and the process of forensic recovery began where really they just scalped the ground down about a foot and took out everything, sifted it, look for bones, look for pieces of evidence. And there were a number of pieces of significant forensic evidence that the investigative teams discovered. And we will go over that in our next episode. Over the next four days after the discovery of Casey's body, more bones were found and the medical examiner, Jan Garavaglia, you may have heard of her. She is actually pretty fascinating. Mm -hmm. She wrote a, a really good book. She did a lot of work on the identification of victims of 9-11. So oh, uh, this, wow. this lady really knows a lot about how the human body can pass away. She confirmed that the remains indeed were those of Kaylee Anthony. She ruled the death a homicide and the cause of death was listed as undetermined. Which is a really rare assignment. It's not something like that they arbitrarily throw around because they just can't figure it out or they're being lazy. Like they really could not determine the manner of death, partially because the remains were degraded and decomposed to the point where it would be extremely difficult to say Mm -hmm. what the actual cause of death was. And toxicology, it had already been just about six months and there had been elements, the weather it was pretty unlikely that they were going to actually find a a specific true cause of death for this child. There was, without getting into too much detail, very little in the way of soft tissue left, which you can expect in Florida at this time of year, especially with the amount of heat and water will do these things. Yeah, she was skeletonized almost. And so things like, was she drowned? You need lungs. 
to be able to determine that and yeah. her lungs had decomposed. Mm-hmm. So all the things that you need to find out, was she poisoned? Was she given an overdose? This, that, and the other. There was very little. So a lot of the evidence gathered around her body was used to tell a story rather than to establish specific events. It was used to kind of flesh out a larger story. But we'll explore that in our next episode. In part one, we've charted the life of Casey Anthony so far as she internalized the lifelong lesson that lying solves, or at least defers, your problems. We've seen the family dynamics that contributed to Casey's baffling actions and her web of lies that came crashing down in her interview with Detective Mellich. And now, six months after Kaylee's last confirmed sighting, her remains are discovered less than a half mile from her house on Hope Spring Drive with a mountain of incriminating evidence that points to one person, Casey Anthony. Join us next week for part two, where we'll take a close look at the fallout from the discovery of Kaylee's body the forensic evidence, the potential motives, the testimony, the twists and turns of this trial, and finally, the unthinkable verdict that shocked a nation. This has been part one of the Casey Anthony case here on Homicide Worldwide. quarterback or the fucking tight end i don't know maybe the guy who just does all the dribbling the dribble guy the dribble guy (laughs) exactly i know sports yeah he's the guy who makes the touchdown right he does yeah and then it's the end of the match (laughs) exactly and they got a home run and a a knockout no no kid i caught you you did it you she knew what she was talking about and she's like oh fuck i knew what i was talking about (laughs) I better say some shit now to make it sound like I don't know what the fuck's going on. I would never. I would never. You know, you knew football positions. Yeah. I I know the names of football positions. I couldn't Uh, fucking tell you what they do. I think the quarterback is the guy who throws the thing. But that's all right. Do you know cricket positions have the best names? (laughs) Tell me. There's one called Silly Mid On (laughs) and another one called Silly Mid Off. How in the world does anybody keep a straight face? We don't. Yeah. We drink a lot. Oh, that doesn't yep. sound terrible. See, I am becoming more Australian by the minute. Uh, by every passing day, I'm telling you. 